Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings 2020 Bermuda Championship DraftKings Picks Preview by range plus bets at the end of the show and maybe some Euro talk. I don't know. I haven't looked at Euro yet, although I see that everyone's betting Rosner again because I guess he's just the guy that you bet. Uh, anyway, we'll get into that. My cheat sheet will be up on DKPlaybook.com later Wednesday afternoon, as will my pivot plays in each range up on FTNDaily.com in front of the paywall. Plus, I need to let you know that you need to become a member at FantasyNational.com right now. FantasyNational.com slash Mayo gets you 20% off all the tools, all the stats, the similarity, the ownership projections, everything you need. Get the monthly right now. Get it through the Masters because for the price point, uh, you're going to be spending way more than that on the Masters, whether it's betting, whether it's on DraftKings, or even just playing in random pools that you might want to have the good information and all of the tools to make this easy on yourself to actually win some cash at the Masters. So highly recommend you check out FantasyNational.com slash Mayo. Joining me on the line from FTNDaily.com, it is Skylar Hoke, back from his honeymoon. What's going on? Thank you, Pat. It's a great welcome back to reality here. Um, no, I appreciate uh, you getting me back on. And like I was saying before before we started the podcast, every time Zalatoris has made a, a PGA start, you've gotten me um, on here with you, and it's just a, it's a great party we've started. And I look forward to him wrapping up his PGA Tour uh, membership this week. Yeah, so you said that all he needs to do is make the cut this week, and he's got it, right? Does he have any, like, let's say he doesn't make the cut. Does he have any more starts after this? So the way I think he structured it is he has such a cushion on the Corn Ferry Tour that he could not play there the rest of the year and would get the promotion from being in the top 25 just because he has such a points lead that he can now take advantage of sponsor exemptions. So because he's gotten all these top 10s, He's been able to get free starts on the PGA Tour. So realistically, he, even if he was to miss the cut, he, he's not going back down to the Corn Ferry. Somebody will give him a sponsor exemption over the next few weeks. Um, you hope somebody at $10,900 isn't going to miss the cut, but with the field like we have this week, we've seen some some craziness in these type of events. So I'm excited to, to break this down with you. Well, let's discuss the Bermuda Championship. It was its inaugural event last year. Brennan Todd won at minus 24, and he went loco in the final round. Didn't he make eight birdies in a row at one point? I thought he set the record, yes. It was unbelievable. So it's a very short course, 6,828 yards, the second shortest on the PGA Tour. Despite being the longest course in Bermuda on the island, it's the second shortest on the PGA Tour. Par 71, $4 million up for grabs, so not a ton for the one-and-dones Port Royal Golf Course if you're looking for it. There are six par fours that measure under 400 yards at this course plus there are two par fives that are entirely reachable into by the entire field there's one that's a little bit longer which guys can still get to anyway it's under 600 yards the biggest defense this course has is the wind what do you expect from the weather this week is that something that should factor in into tea time stacks or is it just unknowable at this point so I, I took a look before hopping on with you and i i know it's always tough to judge weather in advance but thursday looks you know, pretty decent all around. I think it's closer to like 10 mile an hour winds all day long, but Friday is wicked. Friday is almost 30 mile an hour sustained most of the day. So it doesn't look like there's too much of an advantage right now. I mean, I don't mind getting people always out in the morning when these type of conditions come up, but it doesn't seem there's a wave stack that is too evident yet, but there's going to definitely play a factor. And I'm going to look to target guys on the wind because we can have these wind predictions, but we're on the coast too. So we know that it's going to, to whip quite a bit. So I think that's definitely something we have to factor in. So the big thing for me, when it gets into wind conditions, if you go to fantasy national, we actually do have a wind filter if you want to go in. So it just includes rounds that were played in 17 mile per hour winds or above, but that's a really noisy thing to look at. Cause a, you don't know when these are coming from. I mean, you can go look at when they're coming from, but if you do like past 50 rounds, it could be coming from like 2009, which really has no relevancy to what's going on. Plus the wind affects courses differently all of the time, depending on what the course is. Like if you play, let's say, I don't know, I guess Pebble beach would probably be close to this because a lot of them are that the same in terms of that length. 
strength. But if you played Tory Pines in Gusting Winds and played Port Royal GC in Gusting Winds, I feel like that's a bit of a different different animal to tackle. Yeah, no, I agree. It's almost, it, it's kind of like a gut in a sense or just a history of a player. You know, we like to see Australians in these type of conditions, guys that play in Texas or from Texas. You know, those are the type of things. If you watch a lot of golf, you know, that's almost a field thing. I do love looking at the the windy AF stats, you know, that you have and, and be able to, to see where those type of events went. But you know, somebody could have the Brant Snedeker round like he did at Torrey and then be bad in wind of another time. But it's almost like you see Charlie Hoffman or some of these guys, you just kind of know that they can play a different style of game when you need to. So if I click on Windy AF right now, I'll let you behind the paywall a little bit. Past 24 rounds, um, Kelly Craft is actually number one in the wind. Dominic Bazzelli, Bo Hogg, Brendan Todd. Ryan Gibson, Charlie Hoffman, Russell Knox, Rob Oppenheim, Tommy Ganey, two gloves, Stuart Sink, Nelson <laughs> Ledesma, Norlander, Luke Donald, Bo Hostler. Now, the common theme with a lot of those guys, really good putters, really good short game. So I think that's, uh, I did the first look show where you can see where I walked through the modeling. It just, it was the first, it's a legit first look. I opened it up, you're like, I don't know who's in the field. I don't know what's going on. So just to research the course in a little bit, I made a model there. One of the big amendments I made to that was adding around the green stats into it. Because I think that will come in handy in a windy tournament, just to be potentially saving pars, saving bogeys, because if you think that the wind pushes approach shots off, you still want the best approach players, obviously, but if it's just more difficult to hit your regular approach shots, then all of a sudden, you need to be scrambling. So you either need to be making 10-foot putts, 5-foot putts, or just chipping it to within 3 feet and going to tap it in. So I do think that around the green is going to factor in more than I initially thought it would. Yeah, that, that does make a lot of sense. I mean, if we get into, I mean, we've seen courses like this just get destroyed by, by I mean, Corn Ferry plays here a few times. I know, I think it was the year that Campos won on one of the islands that, you know, you were lucky to shoot even par on those type of days. I mean, these conditions can get nasty and that's uh, a great point on adding around the green because you are looking to save par compared to get birdies like we saw last year at this course. When I update the wind again, um, it does look like uh, Friday morning, it's about 10 mile an hour less gusts, but it's still 25 mile an hour plus all day long. In the afternoon seeing like 33 to 38 mile an hour gusts with 20 mile an hour sustained all day long. So could potentially be an advantage to Friday morning, but it's going to be rainy too. So it's just a lot of wins in play on that Friday and then probably a little bit more on the weekend too. So do you think that there is any benefit to tee stacking here, even if you have to blindly do it and say, hey, I hope to get lucky and hit the soft wave versus hitting the really gusty wave if that emerges? Because we, like you said, we don't know realistically how it's going to play out on the Friday. If the Thursday is fine, the Thursday is fine. Then the Friday, it could be split up all day long, like you mentioned. But maybe the fact that there are a little bit less gusts in the morning, maybe you want that p.m., a.m., stack or potentially if you're playing multiple lineups you do a few p.m. a.m. a few a.m. p.m. and just hope you luck into one of the waves being wiped out that that's more of a approach i think if you if we were trying to be meteorologists and guess exactly we would get wrong more often than not and i think in this type of situation if, it, if i'm playing one lineup or even three lineups it's more of a tiebreaker. I'm not deliberately making my decision based off of that weather. But if I'm approaching 20 max, I, I look like as of now, I lean at least a few stacks of that PM AM. And I, I don't mind your approach of the AM PM. I always think back to when you brought it up at the British Open, right? When Dinkmeyer um, stack, stacked the opposite wave and there was a delay that happened and he ended up winning all the money due to that. So when things get up, I don't mind being on a contrarian side of the wave stack too, but it would have to get to a 20 max to me before I really start making my decisions on a one-off on weather like that. 
there are so few things that you can control when trying to predict golf anyways. It's a very random thing that can happen. And then when you start factoring the wind into these sorts of things, all you need to know is what the end result could end up being. Could one of the sides play two shots easier potentially or potentially more, potentially less? Let's just say, let's give it a baseline of the AMPM plays or one of the stacks will end up playing two shots easier. I can't tell you who's going to make the cut, let alone what the wind is going to be on the afternoon and Friday. <laughs> but if I do think that there is the possibility for it being wiped out, you mentioned the the key one, and this Dink really did get me onto this, is that if you're going to play multiple lineups, it is worth stacking the wave that looks like it's going to get smashed with the wind in case everyone's fucking wrong about the wind because people are wrong about the wind all the time. That if it is going to factor yeah. in, you could just find yourself alone on the other side of having the right stack, then all of a sudden you're just printing cash. So I, I do like that but again if you're playing one lineup or two lineups it's probably not the method you want to take i'm going to 20 max this week or i didn't look is there a five dollar is there a ten dollar because when there's a five dollar i tend to play 20 when there's a ten dollar i tend to play 10 they they ran both that i saw there's a five dollar drive the green that has 20k to first but they also moved the main contest this week i think it's called the resurgence um down to ten dollars with 100k to first so they do have both this week all right, I'll probably get sucked into playing both at twenty. Then that's that's always what happens. I try to I have the rules for myself. Like I, I just want to invest a hundred bucks in one of these big ones just to have some fun. Just because building lineups is probably my favorite part of this experience. I love building lineups. Who doesn't love building lineups? It's great. Uh, it's the most fun of yeah. fantasy overall. But like then I'll probably allocate. Oh, my one or two main lineups, play the $100 single entry, play the $200 single entry, and then throw in like the like 75 bucks to see if I can qualify for the Mega Millions, which I never do, but, you know, whatever. Uh, but at the same time, I'll probably get sucked into just overplaying a bankroll at the Bermuda Championship. So let's talk about some of these guys, see if I can get on the right path this week. At the $10,000 price point, Brennan Todd, the defending champion, is the highest price player at $11,000. Zalatoros is 100 behind at 10.9. They're the two betting favorite Zalatoris is actually the betting favorite at 11 and a half to one Todd 14 to one they got Varner Redmond and Grio those are the guys above ten thousand dollars this week don't love it I can see fading all these guys yeah when you it really gets interesting when we start talking in lower tiers of where we want to get into because it is gross you know low sevens into the sixes that I mean I really do love Zalatoris I think he's the best player here um, ultimately his, his putting and around the green game is something that is not a strong suit. So if we are going to rely on that more this week, there are hesitations of anybody up top here. You know, there's a reason why they're playing the Bermuda championship. I mean, for, I, I rule out Todd right away, as much as I like the Todd father from just watching his, his comeback story he's just not been playing well lately. You know, his approach game has been brutal. He's just saving himself every time with the putter. So I'm not into Todd. I think Zalatoris is for sure my favorite and probably Redmond number two, but it's tough with any of these guys. Cause you sacrifice a lot on the bottom end trying to play one or definitely when you play two of these guys, it's hard. I guess the thing is, I like some of the guys down in the $6,000 range, and I have some confidence in, like, the low seven. So should I be going pure stars and scrubs here? Like, I am with you. Like, I'm looking at the modeling right now that I've done. So I've readjusted my model, and I'm taking it over the past three months, and it spits out one, two, three, and four. And one, two, three, and four are Redmond, Griot, Zalatoris, and Varner the third. So the four guy, four of the five guys above $10,000. So they're properly priced. I just... I don't know. Like, do I, do I want to play a more balanced option here? Because it's not like I look at the $9,000 level and be like, those guys are good. It's fucking Christoph Ventura and Cameron Tringali. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I agree. I, I think if you have confidence in the, you know, sevens and sixes or almost a way to, uh, I was talking to Bear Off this week, in a way to um, make your picks down in the lower range and spread it up spread it around up top a little bit more that that might be more of a better strategy if you have the confidence down there and then you can go stars and scrubs and maybe you end up 30 40 percent on your boy jason duffner and then you know you spread it with each of the guys up there that you like and maybe that hits a different strategy i don't mind that i mean i do like jason duffner he was one of the guys so you, <laughs> oh, I knew you, it. you know me I so well <laughs> so Zalatoris I'm gonna star as my top end guy in the $10,000 area would it be Redmond after that for you for me yeah I would say Doc is too um I mean HV3's ball striking long term is definitely the the best I think of this bunch but I just think Doc 
Doc has been playing quite well recently. Um, and he's just someone for me. It, it just it, splitting hairs with, with Varner. I don't like Rio as much as those guys, but I, I think Doc and then HP3 would be third. Okay, let's jump into the nines because I think this is where it gets really interesting when we try to parse this together because these guys shouldn't be $9,000, but they are $9,000. So here's what we're left with. Hoffman, 9-7. Denny McCarthy, who Tim said had no chance of winning. So that's always a good sign at $9,500. Stenson at 93. Tringali, 92. Christoph Ventura, 9,100. And then Peter Malnati at 9,000. Running the numbers, the numbers love Peter Malnati, which I'm used to playing him at 6,200, not 9,000. It's, it's, it's tough with Malnati. Like you have to just view him in two different lights. Cause if you look at anything past the previous two weeks, it is so bad, but the last two weeks have been spectacular. So do you trust that? And do you trust a $3,000 price increase basically that he's had? I don't know. Cause it probably comes along with some ownership. Cause it seems like people also like Malnati this week. I mean, the, the irons were there, but the, the pivots in the range, I guess my pivots might go into the eights, but I assumed you're probably back on to Stenson. You haven't quit him um, like others have recently. Do you like the Iceman again? I, I mean, Feinberg bet Stenson this week, and this is the first week I've decided I'm not going to bet Stenson, which only means he's going to win because that's always that's happened to me with Sergio, so now it's going to happen to me with him. The ball striking has been, I mean, it was good at Sanderson Farms, and he missed the cut because he lost four strokes putting. But at before that, it was like, guy can't hit a fairway, and that's like his entire thing. The irons have been really good, basically since the return. Like, not really, really good. Not Stenson-level good, but better than most of the jabronis in this field. I don't know what to do with him. It seems like this could be a really... If this gets to be the minus 24-type tournament, I don't think that he can win. But if it plays more difficult because of the wind, then all of a sudden I think he's more live. Yep, yep, I can agree with that. And Jeff has just printed winners since the since the restart. So I know he's on an Axis bet him too. So it does wear, worry me a bit, but I don't find myself landing on Stenson. I do think if you're going to get into the win narrative, Hoffman is the play in the nines. I think, you know, we've seen him, you know, pop up there. I mean, he was brutal at the Shriners after, you know, having great off the tee and putting week at the Sanderson. But um, again, it's just, it's pretty nasty in the ninth. I really like the the start of the eight K's though. Do are you ready to go into there? Well, I'm just looking at the fantasy national simulator, which tends to do really well in these like shitty events, uh, at least yeah. historically over time. And we haven't been able to run the simulator recently because it's just been a whole bunch of new courses. So we haven't had it since the Sanderson or maybe even the Safeway. I'm not sure, but I'm looking at the thousand simulations that it's put out right now. Um, there's only two guys like the top of the top five guys like Varner has the best chance along with Redmond in the $10,000 range, but the top guys actually in the eight K's there's no nine K guys except for Stenson that are up there. And I assume that's factoring in like long-term then it's Malnati and then it's Charlie Hoffman, but there's down at like eight, 13 and 15 on the list. Hmm. Yeah. And that's that, that for me is some red flags there. If we're going to be, you know, again, these guys all get significant price increases from a standard week, you know, and that's, I'm not into McCarthy. I do not, I don't like that Tim said that about him though, but McCarthy's just upside has only been shown twice in the past season, even though we feel like it, it has been better, but I'd rather go into the, the eights than look into really anybody besides Hoffman for me in the ninth. So if we go into the eights, my betting card for the week, which we'll get to at the end of the show, actually starts at 8,700, now down to 35 to one. I grabbed him at 40. Justin Sue, I just think that talent-wise, he's probably amongst the $10,000 guys in overall talent. We just haven't seen it come to fruition yet. But other than that, you got Norlander, Rasmus Hogard at 88, Sue, Aaron Wise, Piercy, who rates out really well. List, who I actually like at short Bermuda courses with a bunch of wind, strangely enough. Mav McNeely, who's actually number one in the simulator to win. Danny Willett, Adam Shank also rates out really highly in that regard, too. So besides Sue, who do you like in the eights? Yeah, I really like Sue. I, I think, I mean, we we were on him in the sixes back-to-back weeks, you know, top 10, cashed that twice in a row. You know, it was great to see his performances. But um, Norlander's my favorite play, arguably on the whole slate. Um, I think at 8,900, he is just pretty consistent from, I guess, until he had a little 
week stretch from Northern Trust to Punta Cana, I mean, he's just been, you know, playing quite well. I think this course sets up well for him long term in the wind. He has strong numbers. So Norlander is uh, my first bet of the week. I think I found a 50 on him um, early on. And then comparing Hoygaard to Sue is interesting because both mega talented, both young, trying to emerge. Now, Hoygaard has two European tour victories in the last um, you know, few months. How does that equate to Sue's performances recently in that talent comparison? Um, I think I'm willing to take that same risk on Hoygaard um, and be there early on him because he just puts up birdies in bunches on the European tour. His, his recent form has been a bit murky since his second win, but um, I just think there's a lot of talent for him at 19 years old. I agree. The issue I have with him, and maybe this is overthinking it too much, is that his nice run coming out of the COVID break was against the Bermuda Championship field, but on the European tour. No, you're right. You're definitely right. And it's for him, it's been more, I mean, the ball striking numbers are, are there. He's really good off the tee. Now, I guess it's, it's almost Zalatoris like on the European tour where if he runs good with the putter, he's top five, you know, he wins tournaments when he puts, you know, above field average. So that's where if it's going to get wicked wins now, he's played in some windy conditions recently over in the European tour. Um, but I just think talent, when I think about him versus Sue, we've seen Sue do well. Is, is that talent all that different if we're willing to buy into Justin Sue based off of that? So that's where I think you can take a little ownership um, jump on him because he ran, I mean, between the restart, I mean, he had three, four consecutive events where he was gaining over three strokes per round tee to green over there. Three of them all, in, all within ball, ball striking on there too. So I just think that game at its peak is really, really good. Can you do it with Piercy at 85? I, I don't know if I can. And I'm looking at Mad McNeely, who the simulator loves, but I know, like, just watching with my eyes, how he navigates courses and just, I, I can't do it. I, I can't bank on him. He's basically cheaper, worse Denny McCarthy. Yeah, no, I, I am blown away that he's number one in the simulator. It must be just based off of historical you know, short game numbers that mattered here a lot last week because he does have long-term solid putting numbers. Um, so that is probably why for him. I mean, what, Piercy popped, what was that recently at the Shriners, right? He was up there for the approach numbers, made the cut at the Sanderson. I don't hate it. Um, I don't necessarily love it compared to the higher eights. I think I would rather just play the guy coming off nine straight made cuts and that's Adam Shank at 8,100. He feels like the upside is weird with him because he's never like, he's always on Thursday, Friday, like inside the top 20, inside the top 10 and ends up finishing like 25th to 40th. But he's made now nine cuts in a row. I think you get a lot of safety in a, in a volatile field with Shank at 8,100. I, I just worry that is the safety worth it at $8,100? Because we've seen guys just go and blow up. There's no one who's truly safe, especially when you're Adam Shank, that if he doesn't have the upside of these high finishes, I mean, that's fine at 6,700. Is it fine at 8,100? Yeah, I mean, I, I've talked to, so like Javi's in the Fantasy Golf World Championship this week and a few other um, FTN members, Rainmaker, Giant Beer are, and they've been talking about safe plays and wanting because it's just 40 out of the top 100 need to advance. And a lot of them are looking at Shank for that type of format. In GPP, you, you might be right because he hasn't cracked inside the top 10. I guess he was 14th at the Puerto Rico Open as his best finish um, in regards to highest recently. So Shank's probably coming in pretty popular too, right? What's what's he looking at ownership wise? Fifteen, sixteen percent ownership wise on Shank right now. I got him at sixteen percent. You were dead on on that. Okay, okay. So yeah, he just feels it just feels too good at eighty one hundred for me. I don't know. I like it more than McNeely, even though he's leading the simulator. Yeah, I like it more than McNeely as well. I think for me in that range, it would probably either be. I mean, I Are you buying into list? What's that? Are you going to do it? What's that, sorry? Are you going to buy into list? Are you going to do it? I don't know if I can buy into list or not, but like Piercy, I do find rather intriguing because he's actually a pretty good win player. For sure. For sure. Um, and I mean, it's just you catch that lightning in a bottle with him. I mean, what? Those were great approach numbers his last time out. And he's 
Yeah. I, I guess we didn't talk about it. We skipped over Aaron Wise. I mean, no. Sue and Wise talent. Like, no. Uh, we, yeah. I mean, what? It's gross. You're right. You're probably right there. Yeah. The, the move might actually be if you don't want to, if you want safety, like, is Stuart Sink safe at 7,900? Is Pat Perez safe at 8,000? Like, Pat Perez loves island courses or Central American courses. That, that's his jam. Oh, we loved, I mean, Pat Perez is one of the most popular plays at Corrales recently. I mean, what, he finished 21st there? Wasn't horrible. I mean, he's been good tee to green the last two times. I just hasn't putted. Um, but yeah, if you think about the wind, the conditions, I, I don't actually hate Perez as much as I, I thought going into it. And Stu Manji, I mean, he almost contended for the win another week right after that, but his approach numbers at Shriners, he lost 10 strokes approach at the Shriners, which is nuts because he gained 10 strokes in the two events prior. So he just completely fell off the map, but I don't, I really don't mind him again when we get into sevens there, but I guess right below him is probably the, one of the, if not the most popular plays on the slate in Wes Bryan. Are you buying into to Wesley? I mean, I always use Wes Bryan. That's kind of the thing. And I don't want to use a chalky Wes Bryan mainly because my pick to win is only $200 cheaper. So that's probably the route that I'm going to go. I really like the $7,600 range. I think Russell, I mean, I bet Russell Knox to win at 66 to one. I think that he is, I mean, I'm not going to predict he's like for sure going to win, but I like him in the win being from Scotland. I like what his underlying metrics kind of show. He's been bad off the tee, but he's still hitting a ton of fairways. I think these slow greens can really work to his advantage because he's a terrible putter, but the irons have coming back. The ball striking is coming back. Uh, and these are the types of courses where I would want to play him at. When he got his win at the Travelers, the Travelers is what, like a 6,800-yard 6, course? And then you have Straka right below yep. him, and then Brian Stewart, who I also bet to win at 90-1. to 1. I Just Bermuda short course, give me Brian Stewart. So I, I can get behind both of those two. Actually, this is my favorite range, too, because I think my favorite GPP play, and I bet this guy, too, um, you talked about win. You talked about Lewis. you know Knox, Scotland. Nope, nope. We're, you're you're close, but it's it's Patty Harrington. Oh God! So seventy seven hundred. I know, I know. It's like out of nowhere. But so last three events, European Tour, ninth, fortieth, fourteenth. Ball striking at the Scottish Championship, which was incredibly windy, was two point eight four uh, strokes per round. Um, he's driving accuracy. He's been above the field in literally yeah his past five events. He was 80% greens in regulation his last time out. And the only reason, I mean, he could probably get, you know, PGA Tour starts being a major tour winner or a major winner when he would like. So for him to come over here at a coastal track where he has a huge history in the wind and to make the trip over to Bermuda for this, I think it, it says something about the course type fitting his game and no one's going to play him. So I got, I think there's like a 66 or some 80s out there. No one's going to play him at 7,700 off of Wesley Bryant. I really like Harrington. He's out first tomorrow, too. And the, the wind on Thursday is a little bit lighter um, if you get a morning. Maybe even a first-round leader for Harrington. I like him a lot. All right, I'm adding, I'm adding Harrington to the pool. See, we found some guys in the 7,000s who aren't a disaster. Uh, Knox ranks right. 16th in the modeling. Straka rates 18th. Scott Stallings uh, actually ranks 15th. For reference, Wes Bryant ranks out 6th for me. But I, I feel okay fading him, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I think I bet him the numbers were like 90 to one right when they came out and then it's already down to like fifties everywhere. So I'm covered with Brian on the bet. If you're, yeah, I, he's going to be so chalky. Um, and I think he does get, if you, again, using the wind as a tiebreaker, he he's in the teeth of the wind um, on Wednesday. So if you're avoiding somebody who I don't know his wind history, but um, Wesley should get a lot of it, but I just think from an ownership, it's just tough to play him at 20%. Uh, the, besides Duffner, who I do love, obviously, uh, the other guy <laughs> that just, it's funny how specific some of these like Caribbean tracks can get. And even when you start throwing Mexico into the mix too, but Bryce Garnett just shows up at these tournaments and plays well. Yep. Yep. He's one. I mean, you mentioned, uh, we'll talk about in the sixes, but there are guys, there's a few of them in the sixes that just have that alternate field, on the coast, 
you know, just show up for some reason. So you just, it's more of a feel. They're not going to model out the best. I mean, Garnett's not the worst modeling. I feel like people, if they, they just anchor into ball striking, it'll lead them to, to Homa at 7,200, which he hasn't been great recently, but um, what he, he set the course record recently, like last week I saw on Instagram somewhere. Right. So maybe people find that narrative. Um, how about McCumber? McCumber lit up. Corrales last time out and then I was all over him the next week wasn't pretty no I had the back-to-back top tens and then he just went the the week you convinced me on him he just went for a swim I think so I'm just looking back at Bryce Garnett his best finishes in his career he won Corrales in 2018 fifth fifth at Mayakoba sixth at Mayakoba sixth at Wyndham which I mean, you got to think that there is some sort of crossover with the window being a short Bermuda track, too. Not, It's not going to be, like, windy like it would be here, but still, like, similar style, similar grass type. Seventh at the Shell in 2014, which was the super windy year. Seventh at Mayakoba. Ninth at Sanderson Farms, another short Bermuda. Eleventh at the Heritage, another short Bermuda. Eleventh uh, at Mayakoba. Eleventh earlier this year at Honda, another short Bermuda course. Like... If there's ever a time to play him, it's this sort of tours. And I'm not saying to play him or not play him, but I do think this is a week where you don't necessarily take the stats and throw them out, but it's more of a feel week than a stats week to me. Yeah, no, 100% agree. And you can look into those those specific type of tracks and, and hope you get lucky in that sense. And it's going to come with lower ownership. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a long shot type of week. And the last time this happened at Corrales, I mean, Swafford beat McCumber. Both of them were 6,800 and then 6,400. We wouldn't be surprised to see winners come in this type of range, you know, where optimal lineups leave like 4,000 on the table. Not that we're building that way, but it's going to get funky. The other guy who I've bet from down, like I, I kind of will just watch like Zalatoros and Redmond go to a playoff or something like that. And the two chalk favorites end up <laughs> at the very top, but I am taking more of approach. I'm not making a lot of bets. And like I said, I'm starting my card at 40 and then 66. And then it's like 80, 90, 100. Like I'm just kind of throwing some long shot darts out there. But one of them is Cameron Percy at $7,000. You mentioned Aussies in the wind, just a narrative that I kind of like to go about. And I've been betting Percy anyway, and he's been playing, he's been playing three of four rounds really well recently his ball striking is, is sneaky just consistent long term um i mean his approach game what he's lost strokes to the field approach two out of the past eight events i mean he's missed only three cuts in his last eight events so i mean yeah with two top 25 i, I don't hate percy at all um, i can get behind that i do think um somebody who kind of pops and can go really low and has some coastal history too is Lahiri, who was sixth at the Punta Cana. He's got a price bump to 7,400, but I can get behind Lahiri a little bit, who was really good tee to green at Sanderson. Uh, Lahiri, 10th on par three is measuring over 225 yards, which there are two of. He is third in proximity in the past three months from over 200 yards, 10th from 100 to 200 on these short holes, and he's seventh around the green. It's a very small sample, but you know, Lahiri used to be good. Yeah, and, and during his interview I saw today, too, he talked very confidently about liking this style of course and how it sets up well for him. So I think um, he's one of those field type of players that you, you try to catch. So in the sixes, this is where it kind of gets difficult. I like Chris Baker. Chris Baker is my guy. He is $6,500. And after you kind of brought him to my attention, I'm going back to Camillo at 6400 bucks. I bet him at 225 to one, too. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wrote him up uh, for the 7 under 7K. And, I mean, his approach game these last two times out has been just unbelievable. I mean, he needs to find something with a putter. But, I mean, I think Camillo can show some upside like he did on the Corn Ferry. I like that um, a lot there. Um, I'm imagining Jeff's got to love Bo Hostler this week. Is he, did he bring him up at all? I mean, it's uh, Texan in the wind where you need to putt. It seems like a Hostler week. Well, we didn't really discuss it that far in depth, but I think that Jeff knows not to bring up Bo Hostler around me because all I do is make fun of him. <laughs> it's fair. Maybe tonight at 10 p.m. Uh, when he runs it, he'll go on a nice little rant on him. But, I mean, Hostler sneaky coming off five straight made cuts um, for him, so I don't mind him at 69. You started him the top with one of the best wind players out there and somebody who is a more feel um, type of uh, coastal event Kelly Kraft for me is that guy. He has 14 or 13 top 25s over the last 
uh, since 2017, and 50% of those, six of those 13, just under 50%, came on the coast. So I do like Kraft, who also popped at the Corrales, too, just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, he tends to play really well at Corrales for whatever reason, just a course that he enjoys. Would you use Kelly Kraft, though, is the thing? I feel like I, I if you're going to get into – so there's two ways to build the lineups like we talked about. If you are gung-ho on Zalatoris Redmond, then you you are living in this range. You know, you are up here. We didn't love the top of the nines except Hoffman a little bit, but I think you can get wild and, and play these guys if you're going to go top-heavy because balance probably maybe is the more route if you're hammering the, the nines and eights, but – I feel like I would play Kraft. I, I feel confident in it. Yes. I bet him too. I think at like 150 it was. I, I did place a bet on him too. Um, per the numbers, just looking at that, see if that can point us in the right direction. Josh Teeter ranks out 13th. I believe he was top three, second at this tournament last year, third at this tournament last year. I can never get him right, so I'll probably just pass on him. The other one, who I did bet his first round leader at 110 to 1, Tricky Ricky Barnes, 6,300 bucks. Oh. You, what you turned me on to him um, on the first look show when you brought him up, and that's what he did. I wrote him on the in that seven under seven two where I mean he was a Thursday staple forever, and then the last two times out he's been there. I mean he he trended well um, two tournaments ago, and then last week he ended up falling a little bit more away on the weekend. But good to the green numbers, his his approach at the Safeway was the best it had been in over four years. So I like Barnes, 6,300. I think first-round leaders are a great play for him. Uh, do you have any feel for where Appy Burnrat's at right now? Uh, no. He, he played even overseas. I believe he made the cut or was trending towards, let's see if I can find, because he played at the BMW PGA Championship recently, too. He ended up, what was that, two weeks ago? So he does have a made cut. He finished 40th two weeks ago, but it just hasn't shown anything for him. I, I wish it could because he should dominate these greens, but he's been so bad over the last, ever since he hurt himself at the Masters. He is down to 235th in the world now, which is, I mean, it's not shocking to see Kiradesh Effie burn, right? Because he'll just pop up, win a tournament, go by like eight Lexuses or something like that, or by one Ferrari or <laughs> Maserati, and then he's good for a while. But yeah, he was up to 36 at the OWGR at the WGC Mexico in 2019 and just has literally sank. So he did make the cut that 40th was at the BMW PGA and then at the Scottish Championship, he missed the cut. So it wasn't anything spectacular um, at those type of field strengths. Uh, I'm going to look into the ownership here just for a second. Where are we at? I had it opened. Where is ownership? Did I? Click off of it. No, there it is. So in the $6,000 level, it does look like Duffner and Percy at the very bottom, along with Chess and Hadley, are pushing like double-digit ownership. So just be wary of that. In the sixes, Michael Gillick, Kinejen, appears to be the most shocked. <laughs> I mean, what? It's, it's recent approach numbers. And that's the thing, that I think that if we're all modeling in a similar way, he is going to pop as a value there due to approach numbers being decent. Has he capitalized on it? You know, no, not really. So I, I don't, especially if he's going to pull an ownership, uh, that's a no for me. Uh, the other ones right now, and this is between like four and 7% in the sixes. It just doesn't seem like many people are building that way. It seems like Cameron Percy is last man in on a lot of rosters this week. Lebiota, Will Gordon, Seamus Power, Chase Seifert are the other ones that are kind of popping up in ownership. Okay. Yeah. I mean, when, I mean, Will Gordon is, again, he's elite off the tee, but everything else has been putrid. Um, I just think there's no reason to conglomerate, you know, to, to get on top of that ownership um, down in this range where you are just throwing darts. Um, and I think you can continue the dart throwing um, into the low sixes off of some of these guys. Cause there's a few Corn Fairy, uh, I don't know if I could say studs, but Corn Fairy top performers over the last year. Um, old faithful Ollie Schneider jams back in the field uh, with his brother. I know you hate him. You hate him. <laughs> but, I mean, Ollie did do well on the Corn Fairy tour. I mean, he had, I think, seven or five top tens in 17 events. So it wasn't it wasn't that bad, you know, of a of a restart for him. So I don't mind him because he used to play well in the wind. Yeah, he used to play well in general. 
that's true. I mean, that is very true. So, I mean, 6,200, I guess I don't mind. There's another 6,200 Corn Fairy guy who I feel like you used to be a, a first-round leader backer. Seth, Seth Reeves? Uh, who won. Yes, Seth Reeves. Big lefty. So he he won, I think it was like um, probably a month ago, six weeks out of nowhere, when he was like just missing cuts left and right. Came back with another top five performance. I know it's on the Corn Ferry Tour, but he's the only golfer in the sixes that has two top fives in the last three months. And then he also qualified for this event via the Monday qualifier, which he won with a minus nine. So again, extremely small sample size on the smallest uh, field strengths, but you know he he does tend to pop a few times. So I don't I don't mind Reeves. Yeah, he won at pin- the Pinnacle Bank Championship after missing seven cuts in a row. Missed the cut the next week, forty fifth and third at the Corn Ferry Championship. Just, just he's all over the place. He missed his last cut at the Orange County National Championship presented by Knight Thirty Nine. Sounds like a good event. I can't I can't be there with Seth Reeves. Uh, I like him. I I feel like he's a bomber. Like he dominates par fives. Uh, he, he definitely does. But I did notice in his rookie season on the PGA Tour, he had two top twenty performances. One of them was at the Corrales. So hmm. again, we're throwing darts. He's interesting. I mean. I had to bite my tongue because I can't mention him because literally all he does is miss cuts right now is, is John Oda at 6,300. I, I bet Oda first round leader. That's the, as much expo- I, I know that he can shoot minus 75 in one round and then miss the cut the next day, but that, that screams showdown, first round leader, that type of guy. And, and the showdown approach this week is probably going to be stacking those AMT times on both days. Even, even like I said, Thursday's a little bit lighter. Friday, though, if you want to get it, that, that might be a route of wave stacking that the on showdown is, is a really strong play. Yeah, I think paying attention to the win because we're not going to have shot length data for the week. So when you go on a Fantasy National and look at in-tournament stats, nothing's going to pop up because nothing's actually being recorded for us to use. Fortunately, we'll have that next week in Houston, and the Masters are around the corner, which will be nice. I think we, I think we, were, able to get it, we were able to get shot length for Masters last year, weren't we? Yeah, they had it on the app. And then they had the live video like right after the shot was was made. So it wasn't on the PGA Tour, but they had. Oh, I guess no, they didn't have shot link data. They had the the shot tracker available. They had shot tracker available, but I think through the shot tracker that we were able to parse the strokes gained data out of it. <laughs> I think that's how it worked. I'll go back yeah, and look. I, now, there's definitely strokes gained out there. Yeah, it was like the U.S. Open this year, where the U.S. Open, if you use like USGA.org or whatever it was, you could find strokes gained data on the site. Okay, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yes, yeah, so, that would make sense then. But I know that some people, I think it's uh, Joe Petta, P-E-T-A. He releases this like weird book every single year that has the stroke gain data from the Masters. He like calculates it himself. So maybe that's a decent buy before the Masters this year. I told when we hit quarantine that I was going to read books. That was the first thing I bought, and I don't think I've read anything since. Well, it's a, but, I, but you did read it. I did. I did get through it. It's a quick read, too. But, no, I, I recommend that as we lead up there. Uh, I mean, I can't believe that we're really two weeks out of, of the Masters. It's, it's right on the horizon. It does not feel that way. What's your take on um, – fans being at the next two weeks do you think it's gonna like lure players away from playing in houston i can't believe they're doing it leading up to augusta i initially thought like if i'm trying to think that if it was me so you have on the one hand these guys are going to be nowhere near the people that are on the course so what does it really matter but then at the same time if you somehow got it or someone brought covid in and you ended up getting it then you couldn't play the masters you'd feel like a fucking moron that's my thing. I think I would have took the flight right from Sherwood and got to Augusta and two weeks early and, and not risked anything. I mean, it's just such a big opportunity that you, you don't want it. And, um, yeah, I, I'm surprised that I think Brooks said he was going to play next week. DJ in too. Houston. I know Hatton. Hatton committed. Yeah, DJ. So, like, I mean, DJ, I guess, is immune at this point. But um, uh, I just – Phil said – Phil, Phil openly talked about how skeptical he was of going there because of the fans. So, we might get Phil – for three-peat on the Champions Tour next week. Well, it also, with Phil, like, I mean, if you're Tiger, if you're Phil, I mean, they're not, like, old dudes, but they're much older than everyone else that they would probably be in the higher risk if they were to get it, that I think that's something that they should probably be more mindful of rather than, I don't know, like, R- Rasmus Hogard. <laughs> I 
a valid point for sure. So yeah, the risk tolerance would you know have to vary depending on who you who you are, your health issues. I mean, Phil's got that arthritis. I know he's taking the pills, but you know, I don't know if that affects anything. So I just wouldn't risk it if it was me, and I knew I was playing Augusta. Yep, I completely agree with you. But maybe people want to win the uh, the Shell Houston Open. Who knows? I don't even think it's called the Shell Houston Open. It's just the Houston Open now, isn't it? Yeah, they lost that sponsor. Yeah, they have like the Astros logo um, and everything in there. Um, but no, I, I think probably it's just gearing up for Russell Henley to win by 20 next week. Oh, yeah. It's not the same course as normal, though, is it? <sighs> I thought it is. I, I guess I haven't, I haven't gotten past Bermuda, so I, I don't know then. I thought for when, when I looked at the course, it looked like something. What was the course last year? Because uh, what, they used to be TPC Thousand Oaks, right? Is that I always get the Texas courses mixed up a little bit. Let me pull up. No, that wasn't that wasn't the Oaks. Wasn't maybe that was Houston? I thought that was Byron Nelson for some. Well, that's Valero. Valero is the is the Oaks. You're right on that. So let's see the here we are the Viv Int Houston Open Memorial. Oh, they got a spot. Memorial Park Golf Course. Yeah. You're right. So, yep, brand new. Okay. So, that'll be fun. Uh, trying to parse out this course. We know nothing. Maybe, maybe we'll just skip the shows next week. Just go straight to Masters. <laughs> it, it's been such a run of new courses. No, And the ones that we've seen are ones with no shot link data on it. So, like, you're literally searching, you know, for those guys that write up course previews. Like, you got nothing to work with recently. Uh any Euro stuff to contribute here? I haven't really looked at it whatsoever. I don't even know what the name of the fucking tournament is. Um, do you got any bets or anything like that? Yeah, so it's the Cyprus Open. So another debut of a tournament. So they're on the island of Cyprus for the next two weeks, actually. They're going back-to-back there. Well, I, saw, um, I, saw, I saw Hogart is going to Cyprus for the next event after playing in Bermuda. It doesn't make sense because actually, so... I'm all for new styles of tournaments. I love match play. I, they used to do like a cool Belgian knockout, which and they've done like super six over there. So next week is a debut style too over there where they are limit. They're eliminating like the bottom tier of players per round. So it's like a, a complete showdown format where they'll be down to X amount of players by Sunday. And whoever shoots the best on Sunday wins the tournament. So I'm shocked that that Hoygaard is going to go play for that debut. Maybe they're paying him to do that. But um, that this week is traditional at the same course. So the, the leader like in the clubhouse is Sullivan. Sullivan's 12 to one. And the next closest person is 25 to one with uncle juice. Um, my first bet comes, I'm actually going to skip Rosner. I, I, I know he's very popular across the board and he did well last week. But I'm on the bullet, Marcus Armitage, who's coming off of two top 10 performances back-to-back. Strong approach player. Um, he's been really, really good since the restart. He's 45-1. to 1. He's probably my favorite bet. And if I had to give out another long shot, um, we have a Norwegian, another one who's a young stud. It's Christopher Wrighton. Um, and he is uh, coming off a of fifth place last week, bombs it off the tee. He was available like in the 200s early on in the week. I still even like him at 100 to 1. Those would be my, my two favorite bets over at Cyprus. I, I see him at 90 to 1 right now. Okay, so he's got some steam. I mean, I, I still, by the time I got to the States, he was at 100 and I pulled the trigger. Um, but he, he can go low. He's 22, super talented. Um, He's, I have like, yeah, him and Armitage are my, are my two favorite ones. All right. I'm going to see if I can find a good number on this. Christoph Rieten. But I do have my bets for the PGA tour this week. So here's what I'm looking at. And maybe I can add someone if you, if you feel like I should be adding Stenson, I I don't want to do it, but I I don't know if I can live with myself. If he ends up winning this week, I start with Justin Sue at 40 to one. Then I played Russell Knox, 66 to one with the top five each way. Brian Stewart, 80 to one with the top five each way. Cameron Percy, 90 to one with the top five each way. Then Duffner at 100 with the top five. And Vijegas, 250 to one with the top five. I bet Stewart and Vijegas top 20, three to one and seven and a half to one. Cameron Percy, top rest of the world player uh, at 10 to one. First round leader, I added Kraft as we were talking at 100 to one. These are all with the top fives as well. Chris Baker, the birdie maker, 
Ricky Barnes, Camillo Vijegas, and John Oda, 200 to 1. The one and done, I'm using Sue because I've already used Knox. Jeff's using Werner, and Cust is using the Todd Father. Oh, Cust is on Todd, too. Okay. All right. So we know we know where to move. So, I mean, I like your card. I like where it stands. I mean, we differ, but I think we ultimately, I mean, because I'm on Norlander at 50, Harrington at 80, Brian at 90, and then Kraft at 200 are my four. And then I'm going to add Harrington because he's first off tomorrow for that first round leader. And then, like I mentioned, my two favorite bets over there, Armitage, 45, and then Wrighton at 100. And then I'm also on Ferguson at 125 and Ben Stowe at 80. I guess my four up there, and those are all up on FTN Bets. We have our cool little bet tracker that you can find all of the props and everybody across all the different sports there. But all of our golf bets are posted right there on FTN Bets. Hmm. I'm looking at some different sites right now, and like the odds are even worse on these guys. For the Euro guys? Yeah, for the Euro guys. I, I think I think Coley might be on writing, and if anytime Coley's on somebody, um, those numbers just immediately sink across the board. I mean, literally, early numbers were, I think, like 175 to 225 on writing. Uh, let's see here. 40 on Armage and right. Nope. Coley's not on writing, so Coley, Coley's not, so... It's not me moving that market. I can tell you that. Hey, how do we spell his name again? Oh, he had 90 to 1 here, too. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, so good luck with you guys. Got him at 200, you said? No, I missed it. I got him at I got him at 100. He opened overseas at 200 that I saw him put up somebody. I, I didn't get him till 100. So not to say I wouldn't have done it at 90. I, I really like his talent. So um, I'm probably just biting the number and, and eating it anyway. All right, I'm going to tail you on those guys at 45 and 90 on my books. I'll play the 90 with the top, uh, top five as well to go through it. Maybe I'll put those two in a round Robin double with all my guys for like a dollar each. And since they're all long odds, I mean, $1 probably pays like a thousand on those. Yeah. We'll be millionaires. I like, I love it. I mean, I'll be a thousand there, but that will be fine. <laughs> anyway, Skylar, uh, let everyone know. I mean, you kind of hit up FTNDaily.com. FTN bets is where you can find your bets, but I will have a pivots column up at FTNDaily.com. What do you guys got going on over there? Yeah. Um, we we're across the board, you know, for golf right now, hitting at all angles. We'll have your pivots up. We have Axe's main course previews. He's going into kind of a cash game article as the FGWC is running hot right now. Um, and then, you know, Drew Matthews for us, we have everybody kind of giving it different angles from FTN daily. Everyone's bet cards are up on FTN bets. So it's just kind of an all encompassing um, site on each side, depending on which lay, which way you like to approach golf. Um, and then Jeff Feinberg, you know, tonight at 10 o'clock on Wednesdays is his uh, first of two shows every week. So you can catch him live at 10 p.m. tonight. All right. Yeah. The Jeff Feinberg show, FTN Daily, every Wednesday, every Friday. Check that out. All right. I'm Pat May. You can find my cheat sheet up on DKPlaybook.com. You can find all of the modeling and all of the stats and tools at fantasynational.com. Use fantasynational.com slash mayo. Get yourself a 20% discount off that. Like I said, the monthly membership right now, it's cheap, and you're going to want it for the Masters and for Houston next week, too. I mean, I'm using it for Bermuda. It's the only reason I'm, you know, suck you in to play more lineups. Trust me, because it's fun to build lineups. Like I said, it's, it's fun to fuck around with the tools at fantasynational.com. Com pivots up at fdndaily.com. Thank you all for watching. I'll see you next time. Experience! Experience!